Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to Watch Party Lord of the Rings, where we look at Tolkien through the lens of adaptation. I'm your host, Michael Rowland, and you will hear from my co-host, Jen Gallagher, later on. We are recording separately today, and uh, but we she sent in a recording, and you will definitely hear a great reading from her. We have been on hiatus for quite a while. We're still on hiatus, so you haven't heard from us in a little while. But when the world's greatest holiday comes around, Tolkien Reading Day, we couldn't let that pass us by without recording something and uh, you know sending out a little holler to our fans and our friends in the Tolkien universe. Um, so uh, it feels good to have a mic back in my hands, and I'm really excited to do a little reading here. And uh, don't worry. We haven't forgotten about you. We haven't dropped off the face of the earth, and we haven't given up the pod. We have lots of plans. Uh, we definitely have another season of Watch Party Lord of the Rings coming. Uh, it probably will be a couple more months before you start getting regular episodes from us again. But fear not, we do have plans, so you can expect to hear something from us soon. I'm excited for that. I know Jen's excited for that, and I hope you are excited for that. There's a lot to cover not just with Brings of Power, but there's other stuff in the Tolkien fandom going on. And, you know, if nothing else, we're just going to talk about Tolkien, whatever's on our brain. So uh, look forward to that. But let's get to the topic of the day, and that is Tolkien Reading Day. This year's theme is travel and adventure. Now, when I heard travel and adventure, when I hear the word adventure, I think of Treasure Island and Jacques Cousteau and really fun books that I read when I was a kid and therefore could not possibly have the depth and seriousness uh, that Tolkien brings to Lord of the Rings. And so uh, at first I was a little bit like, well, what am I going to do here? Because adventure is all just fun and games. And uh, whereas Tolkien talks about the hero's journey, but then when I really stopped to think about it, I realized, wow, even though the term adventure may feel a little more modern and it may not connote the seriousness that I associate with Lord of the Rings and nonetheless is very closely tied to these themes that Tolkien explores and the vehicle that he uses to explore these great themes is often, especially in the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings, really an adventure, a form of an adventure. I mean, it is an adventure, um, even though he doesn't always name it as such. And I wouldn't always use that, that term, you know, especially in the Lord of the Rings, one of the major themes and things that we get to experience is the ennoblement of the Hobbits. They're, evolution, their growth from the sort of simple parochial, I don't want to say childlike, but let's just say not mature, immature uh, beings in Middle Earth. And they go, then they go through all these journeys and they interact with elves and, and they are ennobled and they grow and they become something else and they return home. That is all through the adventure. And so Tolkien really, these are adventure stories. He just has a different spin on them. They're accomplishing something else, something much greater. And so I'm really excited and glad that we got this theme, Travel and Adventure, for Tolkien Reading Day, because it made me kind of, at first I would have scoffed at the, the, the term adventure, but it really made me think twice and realize, you know what, these are adventure stories, but just the best kind. And the tact I want to take here is I want to talk about the beginnings and endings of adventures. Most people, when they talk about adventures, they're talking about the stuff that happens in between the beginning and ending. I mean, that's really the adventure. That's the, you know, when you fight with the trolls and you fight the spiders and you defeat the dragon and all this, that is sure. That's the adventure. But to me, and especially in the writings of Tolkien, the beginnings and endings are, are where the deepest meaning is found. And, and where also the, the most impactful emotional chords are struck 
And so I'm going to start with the beginnings. And, you know, I've been thinking a lot about trips that I took when I was a kid. I mean, I went on a lot of summertime trips. We would go to Colorado. We would go to Idaho. We would drive around and they'd be, you know, both my parents were teachers, so we could take kind of extended vacations. And they'd be long road trips, you know, me and my brother and my sisters, we'd all pile in the car with my mom and dad and they'd be, there'd be overnight driving sessions. And I really have very fond memories of traveling. I mean, this was a big, big part of my youth and my experience growing up. And I always remember the, the hustle and bustle and anticipation and sort of frenzy that always surrounded the leaving, uh, the, you know, the beginning of the journey of the adventure. Now, look, I wasn't going off to slay a dragon. Um, I wasn't having that kind of an adventure. But every trip, especially when you're a kid, you're a young kid, uh, you know, we're talking before 10 years old, these are all kind of adventures because it is something a little different. Even though, you know, I've gone on car rides before, I got on trips before, you know, you only do them a few times a year. It is kind of a big deal and you're you're packing up all your stuff and you're choosing the the books that you want to read for the next, you know, three, four weeks. Uh, the next six weeks and you know what toys do you want to have you got to make your choices and it's all very exciting how are we going to pack it in there and let's put it on the roof that's going to fall off the roof you know it's it's just a frenzy and we're always trying to get out by a certain time i mean i just have really really strong feelings about the beginnings of journeys and i almost remember the beginnings and we'll talk about this as well with the endings the beginnings and endings i almost remember more than a lot of the stuff that happens in between and that's just because i think in a way the emotional experience that you have at the beginnings and endings is, is more acute and recognizable and memorable. Whereas the adventure, even if you have great adventures and if you do have big feelings in those adventures, they kind of fade a little bit into memory. There's something you can only experience in memory. Whereas I, somehow I feel that the whatever you are feeling and going through at the beginnings and endings of journeys, that is something that you can re-experience. And I'll talk a little bit about that more with respect to endings. But with beginnings, you know, I went straight to the beginning of it all. The very first book that Tolkien ever published in the Legendarium. I mean, it wasn't really supposed to be part of the Legendarium at first, but it really became that. And that is The Hobbit. Now, The Hobbit is a more childlike book. It is for a more youthful audience by design. And so it actually, it would not surprise you, includes the word adventure far more times than The Lord of the Rings in its entirety. There are 49 references of uh, uses of the word adventure in The Hobbit, as opposed to 37 total in all of Lord of the Rings, which is obviously a much larger book. 29 in Fellowship of the Ring, 1 in Two Towers, 7 in Return of the King. It's interesting that that word would appear so many more times in Fellowship of the Ring, but it makes sense when you consider that the early chapters of Fellowship of the Ring are a bit of a transition in tone from the more youthful style of The Hobbit to the more adult tone of the rest of the novel. So it does make sense then that you would get those references. And there's, you know, a chapter concerning hobbits. It talks about the hobbit. So it talks about Bilbo's adventure and he uses, talks about it in the words that the hobbits would use to describe it. So you get this word adventure all the time. And that's kind of a, a term that hobbits would use to describe something they don't really understand. Uh, you know, the way a child would view that type of journey and, uh, struggle and danger and everything that goes into that. They don't really understand it. So they call it an adventure. So let's read. I want to read. We're going to skip the first couple paragraphs, but jumping in right close to the beginning of an unexpected party. This is chapter one of the Hobbit. And I want you to listen 
for all the uses of the word adventure, how many times it comes up and the way that Bilbo feels about adventures. And there's a certain traveler that comes into his life that is about to turn his whole world upside down because he wants to bring him on an adventure. This hobbit was a very well-to-do hobbit, and his name was Baggins. The Bagginses had lived in the neighborhood of the hill for time out of mind, and people considered them very respectable, not only because most of them were rich, but also because they had never had any adventures or did anything unexpected. You could tell what a Baggins would say on any question without the bother of asking him. This is a story of how a Baggins had an adventure, found himself doing and saying things altogether unexpected. He may have lost the neighbor's respect, but he gained, well, you will see whether he gained anything in the end. The mother of our particular hobbit, what is a hobbit? I suppose hobbits need some description nowadays, since they have become rare and shy of the big people, as they call us. They are, or were, a little people, about half our height, and smaller than the bearded dwarves. Hobbits have no beards. There's little or no magic about them, except the ordinary everyday sort, which helps them to disappear quietly and quickly when large, stupid folk like you and me come blundering along, making a noise like elephants, which they can hear a mile off. They are inclined to be at, be fat in the stomach. They dress in bright colors, chiefly green and yellow, wear no shoes because their feet grow natural, leathery soles and thick, warm brown hair like the stuff on their heads, which is curly, have long, clever brown fingers, good-natured faces, and laugh deep, fruity laughs, especially after dinner, which they have twice a day when they can get it. Now, you know enough to go on with, it, with this. As I was saying, the mother of this hobbit, Bilbo Baggins, that is, was the fabulous Belladonna Took, one of the three remarkable daughters of the old Took, head of the hobbits who lived across the water, the small river that ran at the foot of the hill. It was often said, in other families, that long ago one of the, one of the Took ancestors must have taken a fairy wife. That was, of course, absurd, but certainly there was still something not entirely hobbit-like about them. And once in a while, members of the Took clan would go and have adventures. They discreetly disappeared, and the family hushed it up. But the fact remained that the Tooks were not as respectable as the Bagginses, though they were undoubtedly richer. Not that Belladonna Took ever had any adventures after she became Mrs. Bungo Baggins. Bungo, that was Bilbo's father, built the most luxurious hobbit hole for her, and partly with her money, that was to be found either under the hill, or over the hill, or across the water, and there they remained to the end of their days. Still, it is probable that Bilbo, her only son, although he looked and behaved exactly like a second edition of his solid and comfortable father, got something a bit queer in his makeup from the Took side, something that only waited for a chance to come out. The chance never arrived, until ba Bilbo Baggins was grown up, being about fifty years old or so, and living in the beautiful hobbit hole built by his father, which I have just described for you, until he had, in fact, apparently settled down immovably. By some curious chance, one morning long ago, in the quiet of the world, when there was less noise and more green, and the hobbits were still numerous and prosperous, and Bilbo Baggins was standing at his door after breakfast smoking an enormous long wooden pipe that reached nearly down to his woolly toes, neatly brushed, Gandalf came by. Gandalf! If you had heard only a quarter of what I have heard about him, and I have only heard very little of all there is to hear, you would be prepared for any sort of remarkable tale. Tales and adventures sprouted up all over the place wherever he went in the most extraordinary fashion. He had not been down that way under the hill for ages and ages, not since his old friend the old Took died, in fact, and the hobbits had almost forgotten what he looked like. He had been away over the hill and across the water on business of his own since they were all small hobbit boys and hobbit girls. All that the unsuspecting Bilbo saw that morning was an old man with a staff. He had a tall, pointed blue hat, 
a long gray cloak, a silver scarf over which a white beard hung down below his waist, and immense black boots. "'Good morning,' said Bilbo, and he meant it. The sun was shining and the grass was very green, but Gandalf looked at him from under his long, bushy eyebrows that stuck out further than the brim of his shady hat. "'What do you mean?' he said. "'Do you wish me a good morning, or mean that it is a good morning whether I want it or not? Or that you feel good this morning, or that it is a morning to be good on?' "'All of them at once,' said Bilbo, "'and a very fine morning for a pipe of tobacco out of doors, into the bargain. "'If you have a pipe about you, sit down and have a fill of mine. "'There's no hurry, we have all the day before us.' Then Bilbo sat down on a seat by his door, crossed his legs, and blew out a beautiful gray ring of smoke that sailed up into the air without breaking and floated away over the hill. "'Very pretty,' said Gandalf. "'But I have no time to blow smoke rings this morning. I am looking for someone to share in an adventure that I am arranging, and it's very difficult to find anyone.' "'I should think so. In these parts? We are playing quiet folk and have no use for adventures. Nasty, disturbing, uncomfortable things. Make you late for dinner.' I can't think what anybody sees in them, said our Mr. Baggins, and stuck one thumb behind his braces, and blew out another even bigger smoke ring. Then he took out his morning letters and began to read, pretending to take no more notice of the old man. He had decided that he was not quite his sort and wanted him to go away. But the old man did not move. He stood, leaning on a stick and gazing at the hobbit without saying anything, till Bilbo got quite uncomfortable and even a little cross. Good morning! he said at last. We don't want any adventures here, thank you. You might try over the hill or across the water. By this, he meant that the conversation was at an end. Now, everyone, if you have been a longtime fan of our podcast, then you probably remember our good friend Jordan Rennells. He hosts the Music of Middle Earth podcast. He's joined us from time to time to be our sort of special music correspondent. And he's also a producer of one of our podcasts, A Watch Party of Ice and Fire and he will also be producing future Watch Party podcasts. He's a great friend of the pod, and he has an amazing project that he's been working on that we've talked about a few times. That's a long-expected soundscape. He's been working on it for over a year, and the time has finally come. The Fellowship Collection is available as of today, March 25th, in celebration of Tolkien Reading Day. A long-expected soundscape is an audio experience that you can listen to while you read the books. He's got an original score. He designed sound effects, recorded ambiance, environment, sounds of nature, and put it all together for you to experience in individually designed tracks for each chapter. So really think about that. The average chapter length in The Fellowship of the Rings, if you go by an audiobook, is an hour long. That's 10 chapters. That means 10 hours of original music, ambiance, and other sound effects that you can put on while you read the books, of course, but while you do anything else fantasy-related, play D&D, play Magic the Gathering, uh, pull weeds, do the dishes, whatever you want to do, it will be a lot of great listening. But of course, it is designed to be listened to while you read The Lord of the Rings. Now, as I said, it is completely ready today. We're talking about the Fellowship Collection. You can purchase it and dive in. Later this year, you'll have the Two Towers and Return of the King, and there will be variations at different speeds released throughout the year. And you will have access to those. If you purchase the fellowship collection, you will get the different variations of speeds that come out later in the year for that as well. So go to jordanrenells.com backslash shop to purchase a long expected soundscape. That's J O R D A N R A N N E L L S.com backslash shop. 
elves, exclaimed Sam in a hoarse whisper. Elves, sir! He would have burst out of the trees and dashed off towards the voices if they had not pulled him back. Yes, it is elves, said Frodo. One can meet them sometimes in the woody end. They don't live in the Shire, but they wander into it in spring and autumn. Out of their own lands, way beyond the Tower Hills. I'm thankful that they do. You did not see, but that black rider stopped just here and was actually crawling towards us when the song began. As soon as he heard the voices, he slipped away. What about the elves, said Sam, too excited to trouble about the rider. Can't we go and see them? Listen, they're coming this way, said Frodo. We have only to wait. The singing drew nearer. One clear voice rose now above the others. It was singing in the fair elven tongue, of which Frodo knew only a little. And the others knew nothing. Yet the sound blending with the melody seemed to shape itself in their thought into words which they had only partly understood. This was the song as Frodo heard it. Snow white, snow white, O lady clear, O queen beyond the western seas, O light to us that wander here amid the world of woven trees. Giltoniel, O Elbereth, clear are thy eyes and bright thy breath. Snow white, snow white, we sing to thee in a land far beyond the sea. The song ended. These are high elves. They spoke the name of Elbereth, said Frodo in amazement. Few of that fairest folk are ever seen in the Shire. Not many now remain in Middle-earth, east of the great sea. This is indeed a strange chance. I really love this uh, passage from the Fellowship of the Ring because it's the first time that these little hobbits are seeing encountering elves. It was the first time for Sam, and he is ecstatic. And later it goes on to describe him as completely speechless. He's taken with these elves, and he's dreamed of seeing them his whole life. And he's never been out of the Shire, so this is really the first time that he's uh, traveled and... Uh, gone on an adventure far from his home and and he's just awestruck in in wonder and amazement and um all of them are really and I think this passage speaks to the power of travel and the and the power of encountering cultures different from your own and and scenery that's different from your own and I love the childlike wonder that Sam displays and portrays sort of throughout the series but definitely when it comes to the elves and um the importance of not losing that uh, that wonder, uh, that's something that I think about a lot. Remembering that the world is full of um, new and very exciting and wondrous things when you're when you are brave enough to to go beyond uh, your limitations and go, you know, explore places you've never seen before. Um, if you're lucky enough to be able to travel and, and experience different cultures and different people. Um, it could be so eye-opening and it actually changes Sam later this passage goes on to talk about how he is changed by this encounter and a little bit um, he's sobered by it in some ways but also it's it's eye-opening for him and he sort of the gravity of the situation and and where they are and and what they're facing sort of dawns on him through the encounter this first encounter with the elves and um since the theme this year is travel and adventure i i think uh this was a, a really great passage because it sort of kicks off the whole adventure for frodo and sam and company and it is the first time that they really see something and encounter something that that changes them um they're not in the shire anymore they're they are definitely out of their own comfort zone and um, Sam reckoning with that is just a really human experience. So 
that's the passage that I will leave you with today on this Tolkien reading day, March 25th, five days into spring. Um, I hope that everybody is spending a little time outside today uh, with Tolkien. I know that I am uh, here in the Bay Area. We've been battered with bad weather, but it is finally sunny. The flowers are blooming. I've got Fellowship of the Ring and... I am soaking in a little bit of wonder today and remembering travels of my own. Been lucky enough to see a lot of the United States and a little bit of uh, other, a little bit of abroad, in a little bit of Europe and uh, South America, Central America. But I, I do miss my traveling days, and um, that's what I'm thinking about. And happy, happy Tolkien reading day to everyone out there listening. To the podcast, we haven't been active for a while, but we're we're looking forward to resuming and um, happy spring as well. So we've talked about the beginning of the adventure, but now let's talk about the end. And the end is really where it all comes together. If anybody's had an experience that's like an adventure, you know, nothing like The Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings, certainly in scale, but we've all had periods in our life that felt a little bit like an adventure, you know, and the things that come closest to me is, you know, when you're a kid, you go to summer camp, you have this week off in the woods, you know, doing whatever it is you're doing at summer camp and everybody's experience is a little different, but it is memorable and significant and different. And you feel like you're in a whole other world while you're there. There is a fantasy element to being at summer camp. Um, And there are all kinds of other versions of that. You know, I talked about my trips, uh, going on vacations with my family. We'd go up to Colorado for several weeks, six weeks, you know, with both my parents being teachers, we could take these long trips and you leave your home and you live somewhere else basically for a while. And you find, you know, new little friends. There's, Oh, there's a kid that's down the street. Or, you know, if you're staying in a campground, there's a family down the row and you get these little friendships, these short-term friendships, and you run around and play and explore and, it's very fantastical. It feels like an adventure. So we've all had that, some form of it, uh, at various ages in our life. I'm talking about childhood, but we have that, you know, through high school and college and, you know, those moments happen. And we all know what it feels like when that ends. As great of a time as the adventure is, and we should have no reason to be sad or feel anything negative. when it's, We do. There's a melancholy there. Even if we want to go home, even if we're homesick, even if we're yearning for the normal normalcy of home, once we get it and that adventure is at an end, there's a bit of a sadness there. And I remember distinctly being a kid, you know, this is less than 10 years old, coming back from you know, uh, a particularly long trip to Colorado where we, you know, we go camping and we're running around and we're staying in the cabin and all this. And I was never homesick. I loved it. I loved those trips and I loved being up there and I did not yearn for home. I wasn't homesick. You know, uh, I was happy to be in Colorado, but nonetheless, when I get home, I run around the house and I'm, I'm hugging, (laughs) hugging the walls. I'm hugging all these inanimate objects, all this stuff. Not because I really like the stuff, but because I'm happy to be home and I'm hugging it and I feel happy. And, but at the same time, I'm also weeping. I'm a kid running around his house, hugging the floor and the walls and 
kissing the walls and I'm crying and it's I'm happy, but I'm also sad, I guess. And, you know, if you ask me to explain why I felt that way, I really now could not tell you and I couldn't have told you then. I don't know why I felt that way. I remember being a little bit embarrassed that I <laughs> that I was crying uh, when, you know, my mom comes in and we're all, everybody's bringing in bags and I'm I'm, you know, crying or whatever. And uh, being a little embarrassed because I knew that this is silly and I don't know why this is happening. Um, childhood's kind of like that. You kind of get overcome with these emotions and you can't explain them and you don't understand them. And I don't want to over-intellectualize the feeling or try and explain it away. I just want to dwell on the fact that I had this big feeling for whatever reason. And it occurred at the end of a journey. It was the returning home, the coming home that just triggered this in me. And I didn't know it was there lying in wait. You know, I didn't uh, want necessarily to come home. I didn't miss home. And so it wasn't like I, it was this homesickness that was triggering this. I didn't know I would be particularly happy to be home. I don't know what it was, but I got there and I felt this mixture of emotions that was both happy and sad. And I was crying, but it wasn't a bad thing. And it was, it was weird. And, you know, the only thing that I can connect it to is it feels very similar to the feeling that I still get when I reach the end of a really good book. You all know that feeling. It's a great book and you've loved the book. And then it comes to an end and there's this kind of pit in your stomach and you're a little bit just sad that it's over. And that, that feeling kind of wells up as you get closer and closer to the end. And once the book's over, the book's over. You're no longer in it. You, the adventure is over. You can't go backwards. You can't say, just kidding, I'm not ready for it to be done and go back into it because it's over. And you kind of, I feel, I find myself, you know, mentally kind of trying to claw back as I reach the final pages. I'm thinking about the things that happened in the book and remembering it and trying to hold on to the feeling of being in the middle of the book and that feeling just sort of slipping through my hands like, like sand that I'm trying to hold on to, but it's not solid. It just slips away because the experience of reading a good book, like an adventure, is something that you only experience once while you're in it, while you're in it. And the only way you can get that back is by going on another adventure, reading another book. Um, but once that book is over, it's over. And the ending is there, and there's a sort of a melancholy there, and, and you're happy about the book, and you're excited, and you have those good feelings, but there's also a sadness that comes with being at the end. And part of it is, I think, knowing that you'll never be able to read a book for the first time again. And um, maybe there's an element of knowing that you are in that way because you can't ever read it for the first time. Um, you are different. You are now a different person than you were. And I, I, I don't know, you know, trying to explain the way you feel at the end of a book, trying to explain the way that I felt as a, you know, eight-year-old kid or seven-year-old kid coming back from a long trip and hugging the walls, <laughs> tearfully hugging the walls. Uh, I don't know that it's worth explaining, but it's, but it is worth feeling. And I feel that feeling, whatever it is, every time I reach the end of Lord of the Rings, and I think Tolkien does a, as good a job or a better job at somehow capturing that feeling uh, in his writing than any other author. Um, and his ending of The Lord of the Rings is one of the most masterful, beautiful endings in all of literature. And the simplicity and power of it somehow grabs hold of everything that you've just read and just turns it up to 11 and uh, it's it's so good. So anyway, this is a long way of getting to my reading about adventures, 
talks about the ending of adventures naturally is going to be the ending of the Lord of the Rings. And I hope you enjoy it. It is one of my favorite pieces of writing of Tolkien's and in general. Then Elrond and Galadriel rode on, for the third age was over, and the days of the rings were past, and an end was come of the story and song of those times. With them went many elves of the high kindred, who would no longer stay in Middle-earth, and among them, filled with a sadness that was yet blessed and without bitterness, rode Sam and Frodo and Bilbo, and the elves delighted to honor them. Though they rode through the midst of the Shire all the evening and all the night, none saw them pass, save the wild creatures, or here and there some wanderer in the dark who saw a swift shimmer under the trees, or a light and shadow flowing through the grass as the moon went westward. And when they had passed from the Shire, going about the south skirts of the White Downs, they came to the Far Downs and to the Tower, and looked on the distant sea, and so they rode down at last to Mithlon, to the Grey Havens in the long Firth of Loon. As they came to the gates, Círdan the shipwright came forth to greet them. Very tall he was, and his beard was long, and he was gray and old, save that his eyes were keen as stars. And he looked at them and bowed and said, All is now ready. Then Círdan led them to the havens, and there was a white ship lying, and upon the quay beside a great gray horse stood a figure, robed all in white, awaiting them. As he turned and came towards them, Frodo saw that Gandalf now wore openly on his hand the third ring, Narya the Great and the stone upon it was red as fire. Then those who were to go were glad, for they knew that Gandalf would take the ship with them. But Sam was now sorrowful at heart, and it seemed to him that if the parting would be bitter, more grievous still would be the long road home alone. But even as they stood there, and the elves were going aboard, and all was being made ready to depart, up rode Merry and Pippin in great haste. And amid his tears, Pippin laughed, You tried to give us the slip once before and failed, Frodo he said. This time you have nearly succeeded, but you have failed again. It was not Sam, though, that gave you away this time, but Gandalf himself. Yes, said Gandalf, for it will be better to ride back three together than one alone. Well, here at last, dear friends, on the shores of the sea comes the end of our fellowship in Middle-earth. Go in peace. I will not say do not weep, for not all tears are in evil. Then Frodo kissed Merry and Pippin, and last of all Sam, and went aboard, and the sails were drawn up, and the wind blew, and slowly the ship slipped away down the long gray firth, and the light of the glass of Galadriel that Frodo bore glimmered and was lost. And the ship went out into the high sea and passed on into the west, until at last on a night of rain, Frodo smelled a sweet fragrance on the air, and heard the sound of singing that came over the water. And then it seemed to him that, as in his dream in the house of Bombadil, the gray rain curtain turned all to silver glass and was rolled back, and he beheld white shores and beyond them a far green country under a swift sunrise. But to Sam the evening deepened to darkness as he stood at the haven, and as he looked at the gray sea he saw only a shadow on the waters that was soon lost in the west. There still he stood far into the night, hearing only the sigh and murmur of the waves on the shores of Middle-earth, and the sound of them sank deep into his heart. Beside him stood Merry and Pippin, and they were silent. At last the three companions turned away, and never again, looking back, they rode slowly homewards. And they spoke no word to one another until they came back to the Shire, but each had great comfort in his friends on the long gray road. At last they rode over the downs and took the east road, and then Merry and Pippin rode on to Buckland, 
and already they were singing again as they went. But Sam turned to Bywater, and so came back up the hill as day was ending once more. And he went on, and there was yellow light and fire within, and the evening meal was ready, and he was expected. And Rose drew him in, and set him in his chair, and put little Eleanor upon his lap. He drew a deep breath. Well, I'm back, he said. Well, that'll do it for us for this 2023 Tolkien Reading Day. Thanks for joining us. I had a lot of fun, and I can't wait to be back with you doing regular episodes talking about Tolkien and adaptations of Tolkien. We've got a lot planned, so stay tuned. In the meantime, you can check out our other Watch Party podcasts. It's Watch Party, Wheel of Time with Rourke and the gang, talking about Amazon's Wheel of Time series. They also are going to be having a spin-off podcast all about Neil Gaiman and shows and movies based on his works. They've already done several episodes on Netflix's Sandman series. And those are, you can list them now on the Wheel of Time pod feed, but we are going to be splitting that off into its own feed shortly. So stay tuned for that. You can get lots more Neil Gaiman stuff in that podcast. And then, of course, we've got a watch party of Ice and Fire, all about House of the Dragon on HBO, but also any future spinoffs in the Game of Thrones universe. So until next time, folks, thanks again for joining us. I can't wait to speak to you again. I really hope you grab a book, grab a piece of Alembus, sit by the fire, and read some Tolkien today. May the hair on your toes never fall out.